celebrate our moms today. Come on. Celebrate our moms. Everyone online, we welcome you. If your mom watching, we celebrate you. If my mom is watching, which she watches my messages, happy Mother's Day. I love you. Thank you for all the work and sacrifice that you have done for me and my family. And uh, moms, we appreciate you so much that we have a gift for you. Uh, and so as you leave today, if you're a mom, actually, we have a gift for all women. Uh, and it is in the lobby. So as you leave today, you can go to the lobby. We have a gift for you. We love you. We appreciate you. We thank you for everything uh, that you've done and, and who you are. So, um, well, this morning, I thought that uh, it would be appropriate on Mother's Day to talk about prison places. Uh, and so uh, I'm gonna continue my series uh, called Invisible Prison. Uh, and really, if you're new to our church or maybe you haven't been with us for a while and everyone online, if you haven't, maybe you're just tuning into uh, what's going on. We've been talking about this concept in the scriptures, uh, specifically in the stories in the Bible that talk about the prison places of life. And what I've noticed over the entire canon of scripture, the all the scriptures that you see, the prison narratives where God's faithful people are in imprisoned for following God and doing the will of God and what God has asked them to do is that this is where you see God's power at work the most. In these prison places, you see it becomes the platform for God's power and, uh, uh, and his plan in your very life. You see, it's not just a side note or a footnote in the Bible. It is the main theme. Listen, when Adam and Eve took a bite of the fruit, men and women were held captive by sin, and Jesus came, his first sermon, to set us free. Can somebody say amen? And so here's the reality, is that while many of you may not see the inside of a physical prison, you'll see the inside of a spiritual prison. And, uh, and you'll want to be set free from that, because that's exactly what Jesus came to do. I don't know if you watched your baptisms a few weeks ago at the end of April, but uh, two uh, of the last people who got baptized told their story. One actually saw the inside of a physical prison, Sebastian, and he's living a life of freedom. And I believe God has that, wants that, desires that for all of us. You see, God seems not just to work in the prison places of life, but it seems like he prefers those places of life. I'm known for saying this, that God often moves in our life most in the valley. Although we experience him on the mountaintops, he moves and he's close to us in the valley. And so I wanted to uh, preach today out of a prison story in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 16. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there with me. You can look in the handout. You can flip your phone open to Acts chapter 16. This is the genesis of the church in Philippi, Acts chapter 16. Paul and Silas go on a missionary trip, and they find themselves in prison on their missionary journey. And this is the planting of the church in Philippi, which, of course, you know the book, uh, the letter to the Philippians is written to this very church. So Acts 16, uh, verse 16 through 34. Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. 
She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. Interesting that the spirit inside of her was proclaiming the truth. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates, and they said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating the customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, listen, he didn't just put them in jail. It says this, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't arm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for the lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized." The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. The interesting thing about this prison narrative is that the prison theme is multidimensional in this passage. I don't know if you caught that. That not only do you have Paul and Silas in prison, but the reason they're in prison is because they set a girl free from a spiritual prison. And not only was she in a spiritual prison, but she was physically enslaved. So she was enslaved, exploited by evil people, because she was imprisoned and oppressed by an evil spirit. And Paul and Silas find themselves in prison for setting her free. I think this is ironic in two ways. That Paul and Silas find themselves in prison because they set someone free from a spiritual prison... But the second one is they wind up in prison for doing the very thing that God has asked them to do, set people spiritually free. I don't know if you were here for my sermon a couple weeks ago, but I talked about sometimes following God. We'll have a confrontation with the laws of the land and the culture that we're at. And now that I preach that, I'm starting to see that more and more in the life of Paul and the life of Silas and life of the characters of Scripture. That they're doing what Jesus came to do. Luke chapter 4, 18. I came to set the oppressed free. I came to set the prisoners free. I came to preach good news to the poor. I came to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. They are doing what God has asked them to do and they find themselves in prison. 
Now, this is not the point of my message, but I think there's a lesson here. I think the lesson is this, that there are times where the gospel might get you in trouble. In fact, I believe that this is perhaps a prescient message for us in the church today, because the truth of God today, when it comes over and against the lies of the world, there's going to be confrontation. But my focus today, that could be a sermon, all right? That could be a series. And if you follow where I'm going, I don't know yet where I'm preaching, but I'm going to continue preaching, and that might be a series that I preach about. But my focus today is not what got Paul and Silas into prison, but my focus I want to talk about today is what got them out of prison. Because the reality is some of you have been sitting, listening to the messages, watching online, and you've been saying, great, Aaron, I am in an invisible prison, and it's great that God is with me in the prison, but I want to know how to get out of the prison. And maybe some of you are in that. Maybe it's a dysfunctional relationship. And by the way, it's not leaving the relationship, but maybe it's God redeeming the relationship. Maybe it's an emotional wound from your past that you that just keeps coming up. Maybe it's an addiction in your life. Maybe the moment you start to take steps towards what God wants to do, something pulls you back and you feel stuck and you feel in an invisible prison and you want to know the way out. Well, Paul and Silas give us the way out. I want to bring up verse 25 up on the screen. It says this, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. Like, who does this? Like, now Paul was just beaten. He's got lacerations on his back. He's, 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 He's got chains on his feet, so he's His feet and his ankles are probably bleeding and bruised. And him and Silas start singing, start praising God. Who does this? And I also wonder, what was Paul singing? You know, the singing worship has been in the life of the church from the very beginning. Singing songs to God. What is he singing He's singing worship to God. Here's the main point of where I want to go today. When you're in the most painful prison, never discount the power of praise and the power of prayer to set you free. See, today I want to talk about worship and I want to talk about the power of praise. I want to talk about something that we often underestimate in church. I want to talk about worship. A lot of times people think worship in the way we order the gatherings at the church, that worship is a warm-up to the sermon. It's kind of to get our hearts ready for the word of God and like this music to make us feel comfortable. And maybe somehow that has been confused, but worship is not that. Worship is not a warm-up. Worship is one of the main things we do as followers of Jesus. There is something that happens within us and within a room when we lift the Lord in praise. You see, the path to freedom I want to talk about today is worship. Worship in the joyful times, worship in the difficult times. I believe that some of you in this room, you are a few steps away from breakthrough, and I believe your breakthrough is living a life and singing a life of worship. So what exactly is worship when I use that word? Worship can be 
uh, thought of a lot of things. A lot, a lot of times people say your whole life is worship, so anything you do for God is worship, which is certainly entirely true. But the word worship in the New Testament is proskuneo, and it literally means to fall prostrate for, before God. And so although your life is a living sacrifice and everything you do is worship, the Bible places a high emphasis on the public proclamation and declaration of singing songs to God as worship. It places a high emphasis on that. And the word worship comes from the old English word worship. And so worship is anything you give worth and value to. And it's an important part of the life of a follower of Jesus. I will tell you my story in worship. I've always loved worship. I'm a musician. I play guitar. I was on the worship team in high school and in college. But I remember I went to, when I was 20 years old, I, uh, I went, Brianna and I went to this Bible college in Southern California, Life Pacific College. Uh, and one thing about Bible college is they always make you go to chapel. Like George Fox, you have forced chapel, all right, um, or mandatory chapel. You, we had to swipe a card when you went in, so you didn't dine and dash. We had to swipe a card when you went out, all right? And so I remember being in the place, and going to Bible college uh, is, is like an extended church camp where all your problems go away for about three weeks. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? You guys go to church camp, all right? You're just like, this is the best thing. All my problems, my family's not here. I'm all by myself. Like, God is good. The worship's great. The speaker's amazing. Everything's good. And then after about two or three weeks of that, the reality sets in. And, and the same temptations started coming back. And the same uh, problems started coming back. And I remember walking into chapel one day. And I just remember feeling like, I don't feel like worshiping. And, and, and for a season, I would walk in. And it was because, honestly, I felt guilty. And I'd walk in, and i just like, I see all these students raising their hands. And, and I just, I didn't want to do it. And, and something was happening inside me. And I remember going through this season. It was a few months into it, in this season. And the reality is, is I felt guilty. And I felt not worthy to be in God's presence. And God spoke to me in this moment. And he said, Aaron, don't worship me based on your worthiness, but worship me based on my worthiness. And from then on, my life changed. Because the reality is sometimes we lift our hands and we worship only when we feel like it. Only when like the fuzzy feelings are inside. You know what I'm talking about. Otherwise, we kind of tend to keep our hands down or not lift our voices to God. But the moment, the transformation happened in my life when I began to sing even if I didn't want to. And it was kind of this, like, like I forced myself to lift my hands. I believe in expressive praise of worship, just like Ashley said, to lift your hands is a sign of surrender. And something began to happen and transform in my life. When I began to worship God, not because of my worth and my worthiness or how I felt, but because he was worthy and he deserves our praise. You see, the power of praise is what I want to talk about today. In fact, I want to talk about four things that happen when we praise God. Four things that happen when we praise God. You can write the first one down. First one is this, that God shows up when his people praise him. God shows up when his people praise him. I like what Acts says. It says that the foundations of the prison shook. I mean, it's like a physical earthquake happened 
in the prison places because of the worship and the prayer that Paul and Silas were doing. God shows up when his people praise him. Psalm 22, 3 says this, God, you are holy. You are enthroned upon the praises of Israel. The King James Version, some of you might be more familiar with this version of this same verse, but it says this, that God inhabits the praises of his people. All right, how many of you have heard that? That God inhabits the praises of his people. That our praises built a, build a seat of honor for God to come and the king of glory to rest on. The last few weeks I've been spending time in my son's kindergarten class. Uh, I've been helping out for about an hour a day for reasons I'd rather not share from the stage. Uh, but in kindergarten, they have these tiny chairs. And for like an hour, I had to sit on the tiny chair. How many of you know what I'm talking about? I felt like I was in kindergarten all over again. And I've got a bad back. And so sitting on a tiny chair, like squatting down like this, like it's super uncomfortable. Like I got half my butt on the chair. Like this is not fun. And I was thinking this week about worship. And I think sometimes we worship God and it's like a golf clap. It's like, God, we praise you. Right? Which golf, actually, they don't do the golf clap anymore. They like cheer at golf. Thank you, Tiger, for that. And I think, I think, I think this, the, the, the level of our worship is the level of chair or throne that we want God to come sit on. And it's the level of confidence you have in a great, good God to come and enthrone himself and rest on our praises. We have a big God. And, and the question is, are we building a throne of praises big enough to hold his weight? And the real question I want to ask you is this, is how much God do you want in your life? How much presence do you want in your life? How much power do you want in your life? Because it's directly related to your level of praise. It's directly related to your level of praise. The question isn't, will God show up when I praise? The question is this, how much do you want him to show up? You know, some of the most powerful moments I've ever had have been in the context of corporate praise. I don't know about you, but I've grown up in uh, a, a great church culture and environment where worship has always been important. And I remember times in my life, significant times in my life, where people together are praising God and the glory of God falls. I don't know if you've ever experienced that. But I believe that's available to God's people. And by the way, this isn't just some kind of 21st century or 20th century Pentecostal charismatic movement. You see it in the book of Acts. Like, you, you see, when the Holy Spirit fell, when people, 120 people were in a room, and then all of a sudden they started to speak in different languages because the power of God fell. You also see in Acts chapter 4 that they're praising and singing songs of God. And then it says all these miracles followed. It's like the miracles and the miraculous and the power of God followed the power of praise of his people. It's directly related, church family. God shows up when we praise him. I heard someone uh, just say this the other day that uh, I don't know if you watched online last week or heard online, but our online system crashed last week. We showed up, 
computer was gone, our, our uh, computer that ran everything. And, uh, and so uh, Kate put a, a message online to say, uh, come join us for in-person worship. If you could still make it, we, we saved some seats in the pack. Some people showed up. And, and this is what I heard. I heard that, that, that someone said, I was, I was gonna watch online and I decided to show up. And they said, it feels so different to be in a room. Now this, by the way, if you're watching online, this does not neglect spiritually receiving online. There are some things that you could experience in your living room, but there are some things you only experience with a group of other followers of Jesus worshiping and praising God. And that worship part of it, that's, that's part of it. To tangibly sense and feel and experience the Holy Spirit falling. God shows up when his people praise him. I think Red Hills Church, I don't wanna be a church that doesn't provide a throne big enough for Jesus to inhabit. I wanna build a large throne. I wanna build a large throne, a big chair for God to be here. The second thing is this, is that praise is a weapon of spiritual warfare. Praise is a weapon of spiritual warfare. It's interesting because in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul, the Apostle Paul talks about spiritual warfare. <laughs> he says, uh, and he assumes that all believers are going to face spiritual warfare. Dark powers, principalities, things that take hold, uh, evil in the world, the demonic that's out there. And, and he says there's a list of spiritual weapons. And worship, singing the word in the praises of God, is a spiritual weapon that you have at your disposal for the warfare that you're going to face. I want to read for you Psalm 149, 6 through 9. It says this. May the praise of God be in their mouth and a double-edged sword in their hands. This is how people went to battle. To inflict vengeance on the nations and punishment on the peoples. To bind their kings with fetters, their nobles with shackles of iron. To carry out the sentence written against them. This is the glory of all his faithful people. Praise the Lord. Praise is a weapon of spiritual warfare. You see, Satan is dumbfounded by our praise. He has no defense against it. Why? Because his main strategy is to lie, and the praise is pure truth. It is declaring who God is in the midst of confusion and discouragement. Praise not only refutes the lies, it slaps the devil in the mouth. It silenced the foe. Praise makes the devil shut up. There's this interesting narrative in 2 Chronicles. And it's where King Jehoshaphat, who's king over Judah at the time, is facing a battle with uh, overwhelming odds. He's got three armies that is on his doorstep, large armies that are about to destroy him. And, and this is what he decides to do in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 21 and 22. It says this, After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out, listen this, at the head of the army, saying, Give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. As they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. 
So, so Jehoshaphat, in his military strategy, did not send the Marines out front of the battle. He sent his worship team. He, sa- he sent his worship. It'd be like saying, Ashley, <laughs> I want you and your beautiful voice, I want you to be out front. And, and Chris, I want you to shred on that guitar before we go to battle. And I want like 90s worship. Do you remember 90s worship? Like the guitar player would do like a full-on solo. We had drum solos in 90s worship. I don't know what happened to that worship. I wish it'd come back. Maybe I'll plan a 90s church when I move. All right, and, 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 and the worship team's out front, right? Go, go into town singing praises. That is our weapon, And so as we open up for worship, worship is not to make you feel comfortable and set you up for some message that you're going to get. Worship is you exercising the weapon that God has given you and God has given us to do a spiritual battle. And so at our church, we're going to praise the Lord. And that's going to be the first thing we do. By the way, that's going to be the last thing we do. We don't end you with a song to make you feel better about the sermon, right? As if we're going to punch you with a sermon, we got to make it feel good on both sides. No, we end with a song because we want to go out with praise. We want you to come on with praise in your mouth and we want you to go out. Are you with me, church? Praise is a spiritual weapon. It is one of the most powerful weapons you have. You've got to use that weapon. Somebody say amen. I'm preaching good today. I've got three weeks left. Like I've given it my all. All right. The third one is this, is that praise aligns us with heaven. Praise aligns us with heaven. If we want the things of heaven to happen on earth, we must do on earth the things that are being done in heaven. Jesus prayed this prayer. He said, I want everyone to pray like this when his disciples said, how do we pray? Like they grew up in the Jewish faith and they didn't know how to pray. He said, I want you to say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Heaven, I want you to invite the, the, the heaven realities to earth. I want you to live on earth the realities of heaven because heaven is your ultimate destination. So you live like heaven now and praise aligns us with heaven. The, the book of Revelation, it's interesting because a lot of people in this last season are preaching about the book of Revelation. And most times when we talk about Revelation, we think about the scary end times. But did you know the book of Revelation is a worship book? And the book of Revelation is all about Jesus. In fact, the, the phrase that gets repeated over and over in Revelation is Revelation 4.8. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. You know, one thing about being a child of the 80s and the 90s is I grew up with a scary eschatology. All right, there's all the left behind books and the movies and like, I mean, we were scared into salvation. I got saved every week at youth group. I mean, they just had to play the video and I got saved. And I realized as I began to study Revelation, as Revelation is one of the most encouraging and comforting books. That's what it was written for. And it's, it's a worship manual to how to praise God in the midst of trial and trouble. Praise aligns us with heaven, not only aligns us with heaven, but it prepares us for heaven. And praise allows this, it enables us to see things from heaven's perspective. 
Last June, I, uh, on my sabbatical, uh, a guy in our church uh, flew me in his little plane uh, to Wyoming, and I got to spend a week in Wyoming, and, uh, and I'd never flown in a little plane before, uh, and uh, it's different. <laughs> And so fortunately, I had the front seat. My friend Blake had the back seat, and he got sick. But, <laughs> but it's different in the small plane because you fly between 10 and, 10 and 12,000 feet, right? You're not in a 737 going 36,000 feet, a smooth ride, and turbulence is like just a little, like, you know, you grab the rails if you're like me in the turbulence. Well, this plane is like you go over, like, the Cascades, and you get on the other side of the Cascades, you, like, you, you get the crosswind, and it's like this shaking, and then you get to the Rocky Mountains. <clears throat> but there was this time where I'm like, Micah, I feel like we're going to run into that mountain. Can't we go higher? He's like, no, we only go between 12, 10 and 12,000 feet. I'm like, oh, great. And so we're kind of flying through the mountains. But it's interesting because at 36,000 feet, uh, it's almost too high to see. Like, you can see a little of the geography, but 10 to 12,000, that's like the perfect height. You can see, like, neighborhoods. Like, you can point out your house. Like, you can look at the geography. And something happens when you get elevated to that view. See, when you praise God, you get elevated to a heavenly perspective. And all of a sudden, you see your situation differently. See, when you're just looking at your situation, all you see is the trees and the mountains and you're stuck in the valley or the prison, and you can't see out. But if you get pulled up, you can see a different perspective. You get pulled up, and heaven does it. It allows us to, to have a heavenly perspective and see things from the way God sees. And it reveals the pettiness of our own problems and the pettiness of our enemy in the smallness of our circumstance by focusing on the bigness of God and what he has for you. Praise aligns us with heaven. Here's the last one, is praise leads others to Jesus. Praise leads others to Jesus. I find it interesting that when Paul and Silas were, were praising, it says the prisoners were hearing them. They weren't followers of Jesus. But what's interesting is that when their chains came off, everyone's chains came off. And so... The miracle that God did in their life affected everyone around them. Now, who knows what these prisoners went and did, right? They, some of them may, may have ran away. <laughs> some of them felt free for an instant. Maybe some of them came to know Jesus. We're not quite sure about the prisoners, but we do know this, that the power of God in Paul's life and Silas' life affected other people, that they were recipients of God's power just by being in proximity of his presence. And then there's the jailer, the suicidal jailer. He's about to take his life. He's got a knife to his throat. He knew that he's going to be a dead man by the Roman, the, the Rome if they get let out. And Paul says, stop. I mean, this is the guy who whipped them, chained their feet to the stocks. He says, don't do that. Most of us would be like, please do that. You did this to me. He says, don't. He says, we're all here. We're not running away. I mean, who does this kind of stuff? This is not what normal people do. And the jailer falls down on his knees. He says, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? 
See, praise leads other people to Jesus. I wanna read one more Psalm for you, Psalm 41 through three. David sings this. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He set a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Listen to this last part. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. See, the power of your praise and what God does in that moment will lead other people to Jesus. It's interesting because uh, a lot of times when we think of evangelism, we think of like going up to some stranger and telling them the four spiritual laws, which I could never remember as a kid, all right? Or it was the, again, the 90s model of evangelism, the Kirk Cameron, and you know, you go tell people, have you ever done these things? It's like, well, you've sinned. And then you begin to tell them. And I'm, you know, I never liked to do that stuff, by the way. I always made me feel uncomfortable. I was always kind of nervous. And like, I'm gonna go up to a stranger and tell them about Jesus. And, and then I read the Bible and I realize sometimes evangelism is just doing what God has asked you to do and praising him and other people are gonna come. Just by proximity. They're gonna see your life and say, oh, something's different about you. you. You should be medicating right now. You should be doing something else right now. But in the midst of your prison, in the midst of your pain, you're praising God. Who does that? Followers of Jesus do. Because we know that God inhabits the praises of his people. Praise is evangelistic because it demands a response. When people see your story and the result of what God has done in your life, your testimony, they will want to know. And they might not say it like the jailer, what must I do? But they might say, what happened to you? And all of a sudden your story is an opening to tell God's story. It's interesting because in every prison narrative that we've preached so far, there's always this redemption that it's for more than just you. We've got to get beyond ourselves that our stories are not just about us and God's freedom in your life is not just about you. It's for the world that we live in. And if people in this town, what they need more than anything else is they need stories of hope and freedom. They need stories of people praising God and the Holy Spirit falling on them. They need stories of people revived and their lives absolutely changed. They need stories from people like you and I of what God has done because we simply worshiped him in the midst of our own pain. I want you to stand with me, church family. We're gonna go into a time of worship. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Heavenly Father, we lift up praise to you God, we lift up praise to you. Thank you for giving us an example in scripture of what it means to sing and to praise and to pray you, God. And Lord, anyone who's in an invisible prison today, God, I encourage them. I encourage you, if you're listening online or here in the room, to sing your praises to God. In the midst of whatever you're going through, to begin to worship God and praise Him, regardless of how you feel. And let's see what God does 
in our church. Let's let him move in this place. God, we love you and we praise you in your name. And everyone said, amen.